You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm your host, Sean Rowley, and as usual with me is Derek Specht. So, Derek, it's been a pretty busy week. Been uh, doing a lot of things, a lot of things on the plate here, and going places and talking to uh, people. You just came back from New York State, didn't you? I went down to New York State um, to meet up with a couple of gentlemen. Um, I've always known them as the Scarlet Brothers. Yes. Mark, Mark and John Scarlet. They have been canoeing since the early 60s. <laughs> uh, That's I do incredible. believe this, this year will mark their 50th year canoeing in Algonquin Park. It, it's kind of incredible that they, somebody from New York State has become so familiar with Algonquin Park. Well, a lot of Americans would come up uh, back in the heyday. And this is where they would come for holidays. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was like New York State and uh, and Michigan, stuff like that. And they'd come up and, and just enjoy Algonquin Park. That was back in the day when you used to have the the, the old Highland Inn and stuff like that, yes. right? When the trains were were still bringing passengers up. It's it's quite a time to have lived in. I would have loved to have seen that. I, I recall doing a few tours through Algonquin Park. It was a guided uh, walking tour of, of Highland Park, of the of some of the old uh, locations and train stations. It's so interesting to hear some of the old stories. Yeah, there's a lot of stories. And the, the thing is, you see them, you read the books and stuff. Um, and, I mean, when you're talking about stuff that was happening in the 60s and 70s, you read about it and think, you know, pretty cool stuff. Well, the Scarlet Brothers actually saw this or this stuff going on. Yes, you know um, they're walking history. They are. I was I was discussing before that that um, you go places and you read the history books and you know there was a big log shoot somewhere for for the logging uh, that was happened in the park. Yes, and now you're lucky to find anything. Any bits of remains well, of big log shoots. Wood doesn't last long. And and if you do want to go see any of their remnants of the old logging history of Algonquin Park, you can go see the Logging Museum, which is on the uh, east end of the uh, Highway 60 quarter in Algonquin Park. And the history is, is it's pretty impressive. And it, to see the old, the alligators and stuff at the Logging History Museum, it's really impressive. Yeah, but when I, I'm I'm looking at stuff when we're on our canoe trips, uh-huh. and you know, you you know, you're going through an area where there was a big logging shoot along one of the rivers, yes. like rapids and stuff, and maybe you're lucky enough and you find an old spike or a nail or something like that, and, and you do up. find them. Oh, you do, but they back in when they were starting, I mean, some of this stuff was still there. It wasn't just little bits and pieces that yes, you're lucky enough to find now. Fresh. You know, we were telling me at one point how they um, got caught up in one of the logging runs going down the Ottawa River. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it was it was something. And to see that uh, sort of stuff. So, so yeah, uh, myself, uh, Mark Rubino of markinthepark.com, uh, Jeff McMurtry of Jeff's Maps, and our friend Scott Rogers, we all hopped in my truck and headed across the border to go spend the weekend uh, with the Scarlet Brothers and their and their wives down at their, just, just over the border of Gananoque. Um, in Rossi, New York. Yes, I, uh, I believe I was supposed to join you in that trip. You uh, were, unfortunately. But apparently, you need a passport or something to cross the border. A valid passport. Uh, yes, yes, I, you do have a passport. I do have a passport. It's not valid. Yeah, half that equation was missing. The valid part. Yes. Um, yeah, and you know what? It was it was a good weekend. A lot a lot of all we did was talk canoe tripping all weekend. Would have been a good weekend. You know, camping, it. paddling. Um, you know, everything from canoes to paddles, to packs, to gear, to locations, there was maps everywhere. Um, yeah, you know what? It was, it was really good. Now we went down there, they live in, uh, I do believe it's a state conservation area, um, log house, that sort of thing, really back to nature. So Marcus and I decided we were going to camp out down by their lake. Which was cool because it only went down to minus eight uh, Celsius. Only uh, minus eight Celsius. That's yeah, not bad. Not at bad. All. No, no. <laughs> and uh, I've never been woken up before by wild turkeys. <laughs> Five a.m. Alls we're hearing. I mean, you hear maybe something break in the woods, or you hear the birds chirping, or the the squirrels chittering, and no, we heard gobble, 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 gobble. <laughs> 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 and, and, and all of a sudden you're, what is that? Is that? And, you listen, and yeah, 
There was a bunch of wild turkeys. Uh, I guess the lady a little ways down from them likes to feed them. So they hang around the Keeps area. Keeps them in the area, yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can't say I've ever been woken up by turkeys <laughs> in a tent before. So I got a bit of a giggle over that one. Uh, really nice area, but the, the tons of birds. The, I guess, I don't know if it's just the time of year or what, you know, everybody's start, everything's starting to migrate back up north. Um, but, uh, the, the, uh, oh, what are they called? The wild, I know it was goldfinches. Goldfinches. Goldfinches and nuthatches, chickadees, and, uh, blue so jays, it's, it's cardinals. spring there. Oh, and it's the, the noise from all these things. <laughs> and just unbelievable, a couple of red-winged blackbirds. There's a turkeys, uh, Canada geese flying over. Uh, a couple of turkey vultures. <laughs> yeah, there was a dead porcupine there. It's almost so, like the tipping point of too much nature. It was. Oh, it was. Just, it was. It, it got to the point where it was. It was pretty loud. You like to hear the birds singing, but this just. Uh, it was like an orchestra tuning up, and <laughs> never really going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. So you know what? We had a good chat with the with the Scarlet Brothers with John and Mark Scarlet. Uh, took all my recording gear down so I could, uh, you know interview them and ask them questions and um yeah so now we just got to edit uh we spoke for yeah, quite so well, over, while, well over an hour couldn't take a while to compile all that audio so i guess we'll have to we'll have to share that with everybody at a later date not this yeah week. i'm gonna i'm gonna make that probably into like a full a full-on show yes you know the, the things they had to say and i mean you're you're just absolutely compelled to listen to what they're saying just because it's all stuff that if you look at it they were doing stuff um, that was new with the gear and, and the, the canoe routes and the campsite. Some of the campsites in Algonquin Park were, they were the first ones to camp there. You know, they cleaned out the area, they built the fire pit and later on they were just added onto the, the campsites on different lakes on the canoe route maps and stuff. And so they were often at the, at the tipping or the predecessors of, of many of the canoe routes. Oh, big time. They're, they were, yeah, they're, they're like the grandfathers of, <laughs> of camping sort of thing. But John had said, you know, um, when they started that he just got the roadmap and started looking at lakes said, well, we can drive to here and we can put the canoes in here and this lake goes to this lake and that lake goes to that lake into this river into that river into that lake and over to here. So right at the front of, of route finding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely, you know, the forefathers of, of our canoe tripping, huh. you know, right up there. And it was really cool to, to hear them talk and tell their stories and, and whatnot. So, so yeah, that's definitely going to be, uh, um, edited for, for a nice, uh, radio program down the road. Uh, with me, as I said, went, uh, Jeffrey McMurtry and, um, Marcus Rubino and our friend Scott Rogers, because with those three, and the two Scarlet Brothers, and another fellow by the name of Jim Black, um, who I do believe became known as Jimmy Blackleg due to a <laughs> accident in the mud. Um, I guess stepped where he shouldn't have stepped and sunk up to his hips. And when he came out, his legs were all black and So he muddy still holds that nickname? I guess that's what they still uh, refer to him as, is Jimmy Blacklegs. <laughs> so along with the all, the all those guys there, they did a link in Algonquin Park area back in 2012. It's called the Meanest Link, and you've heard of the Meanest Link. I have. Um, if if you Google the Meanest Link um, and read up on it, you'll really be impressed on what it is. And if you're looking for a challenge, this is definitely definitely. Um, so the meanest link, which they call it the link, it's uh, it was dreamed up by Alex Hurley and Gordon Baker back in 2004. And they did it in memory of uh, Bill Swift Sr. He was known as meanest. It was one of his nicknames. So they created a, a traditional route uh, of the meanest link. And what it does is it links all the Algonquin Outfitter stores. So the routes basically traverse between each of the stores, there's four stores, so there's four legs. So you go from it, all the all the outfitter stores serving Oakland Park. It's Oxton Lake, Huntsville, Brent on Cedar Lake, and Lake Opiango. So the link 
joins these things up. And if you're familiar with Algonquin Park, Algonquin Park is a huge park. So these links, these connecting points, it's uh, it's incredible to me. And one day, I, I, the more I read into this, more I'm more interested in it. I want to do this route. I don't know if I can do the whole thing at once. And there's uh, there's a lot of people that have attempted certain legs of this route, but very few have done the entire route. This is a new route. This is not like the Brent Run, which was started, I think, in the late 30s, mid 30s. Yeah, way back. 34. Way back. So this is this is new. This is a new route in memory of Bill Swift Sr. And uh, it's a very interesting route, and it's a difficult route. Some of the sec one section is a very difficult route. Other ones, like record runs, are like 17 hours between Algonquin uh, uh, Outfitter stores. So it's. It is, it is uh, very challenging at some spots. Uh, others are just normal canoe tripping. I mean, not, not all that f um, hard to do. But now I know when they did the Meanest Link back in 2012, you look at out of Huntsville heading towards Brent. And that's a long route. Yeah. And that's a brutal route. It is. They had to go up the Big East River. And when I saw parts of the video and photos of that um, section that they did, the Big East, I don't know if they walked <laughs> more or actually paddled. The rock gardens through the river was phenomenal. It was all rock. Yeah, that'd be tough. It, it, and it looked tough. Uh, but then there was a bit of um, bushwhacking to do at one point. Because the old portages weren't there and, and stuff. Unmaintained. Yeah, yeah. So they, there was a bit of bushwhacking at one point. And actually, one of the portages that they did, that they made, um, has been, they flagged to, so they can make their way through with all their stuff, uh, is now being reopened to be used as a traditional portage again. So back in the day, I guess it was a portage, and because people weren't using it, they just let it let grow it go over. fallow and... yeah. So now they're they've just uh, they're reopening it. Um, well, there's there's been a resurgence of interest in a lot of people are getting back into camping, and there was a in the in the 80s and the 90s a lot of people kind of moved away from it, but now there's a resurgence, and it has to do with a lot of this, uh, you know, less drought survivor man, and a lot of these uh, adventure tripping and traveling, and people are getting back into the outdoors again. It's also a bit cheaper than going. Yes, I agree. On a, you agree. know the vacations. You yes. know it's it's a cheaper vacation, and and unfortunately, I mean, it's when I first started um, canoe tripping that when you you were paying, you know, in, in a provincial park or something, you know, you're you're paying like next to nothing for a night, mm -hmm. and now it's increased and it's increased. So it isn't dirt cheap, but no. it's pretty close. But you're, you're you know. yeah, some of these major trips, you know, people aren't traveling far and wide as they used to. People aren't driving as far as they used to. Price of gas is up. Price of travel is up. It's like, hey, well, let's go camping. Let's get back to our roots. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's what these guys were doing was just getting back to this and doing these these routes and uh, opening, reopening a couple of uh, old portages. Uh, but once they got into... Algonquin Park. They were just following some of the, you know, the traditional canoe routes that are up through the park. Exactly. It was pretty easy. Uh, then you get around to the far side, the east side of the park, and they had to go through the Dixon Bonfield Portage. <laughs> That's a brutal portage. 5.3 kilometers. 5,300 meters. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's uh, like, I've heard of some people take uh, wagons to tow their canoes across it and stuff like that. But if you're on this route and you're trying to make this link, you're you're singling with a pack and a canoe 5.3 kilometers. That's incredible. Yeah. And they they had uh, food drops. Yeah, I mean, this, yes. if you're doing the meanest link, you've got to plan this well in advance. It's not something you just pick up and say, you know what, I've got two weeks off. I'm going to do this. Um, there's some had, strategy involved. There's some, like you said, food drops. You're not going to want to carry, if, if this is going to take like a week or two and you're going to try and save weight, you're going to have somebody drop food at a location for you. Yeah. Marcus actually dropped food off. I think about two months, a month and a half or whatever in advance up at, uh, the Brent store, uh, at the top end of the park. Yes. He had actually dropped off a bunch of food there. So when they got up there, they were on their like last day's worth of food. And they showed up at Brent and total resupplied yes. for their next leg of the trip down through Opiongo. Um, but yeah, you, you've definitely got to do that. 
And on top of that, there are rules. Yes, the rules of the meanest link. So it's, it's they're basic rules. Some of them are, have to do with safety, but some of them are also, you want to maintain a tradition of the route and they want to maintain that people are going to do a respect the route. Yeah, and it's, it's everybody's got to do the same sort of thing, you know, because if somebody does it one way and another person does another, well, who's right, who's wrong? Yes, so there's a so, specific link and leg of lakes and rivers and portages that to do each leg, you have to follow the route. Yeah. Um, they, like I said, there's 11 or so rules. Uh, you, you can go either direction, clockwise or counterclockwise, yes. doesn't matter to them. You can do one section at a time, two sections at a time, three sections, or the entire link. Uh, you get, I guess you get um, recorded on the meanest link wall of fame for every section you do, which I do believe is at the Oxtongue Lake store. Yes. Uh, no solo tripping. And that makes sense. This is a this is a difficult and challenging route and for the most part they don't want people out there getting in trouble and having to get rescued or or becoming injured so it's it's if they're going to promote this meanest link they they want people to be safe yeah the i can see the first leg up to rain lake uh definitely being um a safety issue for somebody doing it solo but then when you're getting through algonquin like i mean i've been solo through a bunch of those areas before which have never been a problem, but... But you're not racing through. You're not trying to right. make a time. And yeah. and I'm talking about making time. They, they do not specify that this is a race. This is enjoying the route. This is participating in a traditional route. Right. Um, you have to use the same self-propelled watercraft for the whole section or for the whole link if you're doing a continuous trip. Paddlers using anything but a canoe will be scoffed at. <laughs> exactly. Now, I thought, I, I wondered before if they were using, if anybody used a kayak, thinking of uh, kayakcamper.com. He does, he's, he's done the yoke and he does the portage trips with his kayak. Mm -hmm. So I guess that really wouldn't be allowed. But, well, it's not that it wouldn't be allowed. It, like it's, they, they say, you'll be scoffed at. I think what they're getting at is like on Lake Opiango, you can take the water taxi. So they're going to obviously, they want you to paddle the whole Lake Opiango. They don't want you to cheat and take the water taxi and save yourself the effort and time. Right. Uh, and again, another one, safety is of paramount importance. Travel carefully. So yeah, they're, they're on with the safety thing. Um, when paddling the Brent to Opiongo Lake, the party must stop at and preferably camp at Meanest's favorite site on Lake Lavalier. So, and I think it's an island site if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He and had I, one site that he really enjoyed. And I want to find that site now. If, if they make such a big point of it, it's like, oh, that must be a good campsite. So I'm going to have to go check that one out. Yeah. And while you're there on that site. Yes, this is a key point. Each trip member has to drink a particular refreshing beverage on that site. Um, for more information on this rule, <laughs> please contact the Meanest Link Advisory Board at Oxtongue Lake. So this advisory board, is it uh, it's a large group of people? I'm thinking maybe it's Gord and a clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> advisory group of one. <laughs> large group of one, please. <laughs> And when paddling the Opiongo to Oxtongue Lake section, you must go up the Little Madawaska to Source Lake and stop at Camp Pathfinder in order to pay your respects to the place where it all began for meanest in Algonquin Park. So he must have been a, a guide or something at one time, right? Yeah, the camp counselor or uh, uh, mm -hmm. an actual camper when he was a kid or something, because I mean, they, they've been around forever. Um, so yeah, so the meanest link, uh, I chatted with the guys, I had them all there. Kill two birds with one stone, as it were. Um, and, you know, just ask them, like, what their typical days were like and the weathers and, you know, what what uh, were the, the good parts of the trip, the bad parts of the trip. Would they do it again and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up with a really good uh, chat with them about it. Of course, they were reliving their memories and having little giggles and and stuff. So I think that's going to end up being another, another show altogether, uh, just sitting down with those guys and... Having it, you know, letting them just listen to their stories of this big trip. Yes, we'll talk about it. We'll we'll see what the tape says and what uh, the interview comes out. We'll talk about 
previous groups that have done the Minis Link and uh, anybody who has done all four legs at once. Yeah. Now, there's only been, what, one, two, three, four, five, five groups. groups that have completed the yes. whole thing? So uh, the, one, of the, one of the first groups of people that have done the complete all four legs at once is the girls. Uh, that was in 2005. Yeah. And we need to look up who they were. But uh, in 2007, it was Ben Briston and Crew Camp Pathfinder. They did the whole thing in 2007. 2008 was Bill, Will and Boss, all four legs. And then in 2012, and the last leg in 2013 was Jeff McMurtry, Mark Scarlett, John Scarlett, Scott Rogers, and Mark Rubino. And who was the sixth? Jim Black. Jim Black. Now, Jim only did the first three legs. First three legs, yeah. yes. Yeah, so for, he's he he gets credit for three of the legs, not the fourth. Yes, and then the fifth group in 2013, they were the most recent, was Jeff Birdsey and Luke Van Coverden. Yeah, and it says, in June of 2005, four determined young women quietly booked time off, planned, packed, and started paddling from Oxton Lake. Fifteen days later, Janet Thomas, Jamie Campbell, or, sorry, Cappell, uh, it could be, yeah, Campbell. Sarah Strickland and Leah Saunders became the first party to complete the full link as a continuous canoe trip. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So 15 days later. So yeah, you know what? I'll go through the, uh, the tape we got of that uh, conversation with the guys and put it together and everybody can listen to, you know, what it's like to be on, on a trip link. like this. If, if you got the time, Google the meanest link. And just start reading some of the stories and stuff. And let me tell you, you'll be going, oh, man, that'd be something to do. You're going to come across a lot of history for Algonquin Park, for Algonquin Outfitters, for Bill Sr. It, it's uh, Bill Swift Sr. And it's it's a very interesting and rich history of the yeah. park. Um, other than that, there's uh, the Canoe Symposium. Yes, The Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium. Yes. Uh, check that out. It was good. I was um, unable to go to that. Yeah, you working. <laughs> you know, the good help is really hard to find it is, these isn't days. It? it is. It's and it's getting worse apparently. Next year, I'm going next, next year. year. Well, next year, if I don't go to the canoe symposium, I think about doing the float your fanny down the Ganya because yes. it's the same day. Yes, same day. Yeah, that but, that was almost canceled a couple times, and they just had to. It, was, it became popular again recently, so they're still going to continue it. Yeah, I guess another group took it over. The old group was getting tired of doing it, and. The new group took it over and said it was too much fun to let go. So, um, but yeah, the canoe symposium, uh, Kitchener Waterloo Canoe Symposium, that was that was quite informative. A lot of good speakers and and whatnot. Learned a lot and uh, yeah, it's always a good time heading there. You can get there; it's a full day event. So, and of course, uh, go to a little bit of a barbecue afterwards and and chit chat with some of the old people we know and you know a little get together afterwards. Exactly. So. Um, we are watching the ice out reports from up north. And this is something that we traditionally follow every year. It's, uh, you know, as you get excited for spring, the ice out, you get to hit the water again. It's like, so there's a traditional early spring ice out contest where everybody makes whatever private wagers and determines who, who wins it. All it really is, is, uh, kudos to you. You guessed the right date, but ice out and we follow Algonquin Park's ice out, Canoe Lake. Yeah, um, I've always put my guesses in on where or when I think ice out is going to be. And I think I'm usually within a week. Ballparking. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> I'm ballparking it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, show up the wrong week and you're, you're chopping ice. I've done that before. Now this year, the winter's been pretty harsh up north. So... Algonquin Park actually has been delaying the opening of the park. Yeah, the interior uh, permits and that have been delayed till the end of uh, April. Um, usually, I guess people are starting to get permits beginning of April, but they've um, postponed stuff to at least the 28th of April. So if you've had permits to go interior camping before then, you're not uh, going to be able to. Now, I haven't heard, usually this time of year, you're hearing about washed out roads in a few spots, but I haven't heard any of that yet. No, the water hasn't been running yet. There's still a lot of snow in the backcountry. There's still a lot of ice in the lakes and rivers. So it's it has been delayed. It's there's a, It's been a colder 
and harsher winters and with there was less snow and more freezing yeah and i mean down in southern ontario there's already people going out on the water with their their dry suits and and whatnot and i mean that's one thing i'm waiting for is uh looking at getting on the water down here i've got uh my new Swift Prospector 16 having skid plates put on it. Yes. Um, I can't wait to paddle that thing. I saw that Algonquin Outfitters had actually uh, tweeted the fact that, or actually, did they Facebook or tweet it? I think they did both. Oh, I saw it on Facebook. Yes. Uh, I, and I clicked on it and it actually links to one of our uh, past shows. Episode six, yes. Yeah. But um, what I really like about my canoe, besides the fact that it's new and it's uh, a Prospector, is the color. It looks like it's a brown granite. It's actually basalt uh, powder they put into the Kevlar to make it... Um, mm -hmm. Almost like a burlap. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was really cool looking. So we'll, uh, we can't wait to get that. Like I say, they're putting the skid plates on it. And once that happens, we'll be testing some of the waters down, local waters. And uh, hopefully May, I guess middle of May, there's a, a gathering, a bit of a gathering up in Algonquin. Uh, Going to see about checking that out as well. Get some, I, I look get some miles to, under that. I look forward to hearing about the first scrapes and bumps. <laughs> <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> You're just mad because I'm not going to let you go in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's take a break here. And I think when we come back, I want to talk about this fella, Mike Ranta. Yes. Who's making a second trip, a uh, solo canoe trip across Canada. Second Second. Trip. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio, whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Last year on the internet, I was following a story about a fella named Mike Ranta out of Atacokan, Ontario. Uh, Mike started with his canoe and his dog, Spitzy, out in Victoria, BC. Um, and he was aiming to paddle all across Canada. Uh, a in nice seven, light paddle. Yeah, nice light, pa light, nice light paddle <laughs> across Canada. 7,500 kilometers. And just him and his dog. Nobody has solo paddled that far uh, before. And he did it in seven months. Uh, we started in what? April, ended in the end of October. April 1st through to October 31st in 2015. It was quite uh, the paddle. He learned a lot about himself and a lot about his canoe and his dog and the country. Um, there was a couple of times, you know, he said he has, he had some close calls with rapids and weather, uh, I guess he were almost hit by lightning. It was pretty close. His ears rang for a few days. Um, but, uh, the, one of the things that was interesting was the Guinness World Book of Records portion of it. Yes. He was... He I guess he, he wanted to apply for the world, uh, against World Book of Records, but there was a couple things that they required, which he refused to do. And one of them was hand over all his notes and journals and everything oh, like that. Yeah. He'd lose all rights to his own story. Yeah. Which he just not going to happen. Exactly. And the previous world record was, uh, it, it was 32, 3,255 kilometers on the, I believe the Amazon river. Uh, yeah, somebody did uh, solo paddle on the Amazon River. Um, yeah, it was just over what, 3,200 kilometers. Yeah, they did it 40 days. It was done in 2010. So he, 
I don't think he set out to beat that record. I think this was a personal thing of his anyways, and it just happened to beat the record. And the first time he did it was in 2011. 2011, he went from uh, Rocky Mountain House to in, in Alberta to um, Montreal. Montreal. St. Lawrence River. Yeah, to Montreal. And that was and a 5,400-kilometer trip. Took 112 days. So that was, it would have been a world record, but he never contacted Guinness Book World Records ahead of time. You have to pre-plan these things. Yeah. Um, and this one here, um, yeah, again, seven months. And he, I guess it took him 15 days longer than he had hoped. Mm -hmm. uh, but weather held him up a lot and stuff like that. But he is the first person to cross uh, the North American continent solo and if you think uh, by about canoe. If you think about it, that's incredible to think of that achievement. So it's solo. He traversed the continent. Yep, solo by canoe in one season. It's absolutely incredible to think of the effort and time and so much agony that would to do that trip. And I guess he enjoyed the trip. It was uh, he he learned stuff about himself and it as you like I imagine you would. Yeah, and I think the the hardest part in would be uh, the mountains. Yes. You know, going over the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Uh, Portals around that one. You, you, you look at the map of Canada and you're thinking, okay, well, once you get up to like Thunder Bay um, in Ontario and you hit the Great Lakes, if you wanted to just cruise the, the shoreline of the Great Lakes all the way down, you got it pretty easy from there. It's all paddling, right? It's great for, distance, though. It is. It is, but it's better than walking. Um, there's been a couple parts where he's had to do long portages, uh, with just the weather and the, the, um, the, the type of rapids and stuff that just yes. weren't passable by Safety issues. Yeah. You, you, there's certain issues you just can't run. And he is doing it solo, so he has no backup. Right. And at the end, um, I guess in 2015, he ended up winning the Canoe and Kayak Magazine's Expedition of the Year Award for this, this feat. And I guess there was a couple other, um, expedition paddles that were, uh, nominated as well, which were, were quite, quite good. Uh, but no, he took that one home and he actually decided, you know what? This was so <laughs> good. I learned a lot. There's still more to learn. He's going to do it again, he says. And he's actually, um, I guess the beginning of April started again. Mm -hmm. He's going to go across Canada a, a second time. So he's en route right now. He's en route right now. What um, was his starting point? Victoria. He's hitting the Fraser River and around. Um, but uh, yeah, and he's he's doing it again. He wants to be the first person to solo paddle across North America in one season in a canoe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Glutton for punishment. Hey, let's do that again. Yeah, um, I don't know that I would do it twice. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do it once. I, I'd give it a good whirl to do it once. If I had the time, I'd definitely do it once. But doing it twice? <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure his dog, Spitzy, is uh, looking at him going, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> now, Spitzy, I guess he found. Saskatchewan, um, yes. In Saskatchewan River. Yeah, he came across a stray dog and... Uh, what a Finnish Spitz yes. and called him Spitzy and he's been uh, with him ever since. Seems to enjoy the paddling and whatnot. Gets a lot of attention when they're on their, on their trips. Uh, a lot of people checking him out and petting the dog, feeding the dog, that sort of thing. It's the dog's, dog's, uh, dream, right? All the attention. <laughs> so, imagine. but yeah, could you imagine paddling across a continent? No, think about the concept. Like, like I think he's he's uh, kind of winging it. The, the logistics are just too much to plan for you, so you'd have to wing it. Or, or you could take years to plan something like this, or you could just do it. And I think he's just doing it. And so you could have various maps and route finding and and whatnot. But to think of the seven months of doing this solo, well, he, well it's solo, but he's got a he has his dog with him. Yeah. So does that count? <laughs> well, the dog's not doing any paddling. Yeah. Well, he says for his trip this year, his goal is to set a speed record and he wants to paddle and portage longer, faster, and further than any person in history. 
The journey is 7,000 kilometers and he hopes to cover 40 kilometers a day. So what's he going to do next year? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Maybe it's head been... head down towards uh, the border of Mexico, then I across suppose, and up through I suppose around could... Florida and up <laughs> the he eastern seaboard. He could cross North America vertically. So like up and down. Yeah. Ellesmere Island down to Cape Hope. Good Hope? Cape Horn? <laughs> South America? <laughs> South America? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's not happening in one season. No. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, though. But, I mean, even he says uh, he'll be testing every limit, emotional, physical, Absolutely. mental, pushing himself beyond anything he's done before. And it's, uh, Now, he is raising money on this trip. Yes, good point. Raising money for Canadian veterans and Atacokan Youth Centre. Which is a big thing to him by the sounds of it, because when he got back of, uh, after last year's trip, um, he was doing a whole bunch of things with the with the youth center in Atacokan. Um, it sounds like that's what he's really, really into. But he's, uh, uh, he's going to paddle and portage a wreath that he's got, uh, carried across the country, and with his own hands, he's going to place it at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Oh, nice. Which is cool. Which is cool. I mean, you know what? It gives him a... a Something, you know, to, to look forward to on this goal. trip. Yeah, the goal. That's that's what I'm thinking. So, now, he's, what, looking to raise $50,000 for this year's 2016 trip? Yeah. So, that's a, that's a lot of money. And you know what? With the amount of people that were following him last year, I don't think he'll have a problem doing that. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No. And you know what? Yeah, I, I followed him last year on the, on the internet. And he's actually, I haven't seen it. If you, um, It's MikeRanta.ca. Uh, he's got his his web page, um, but you can see his his spot uh, track. It shows where he is. Did he have spot last year as well? I don't remember spot last. Just, I think it was more on Facebook. He's posting Facebook pictures of where he was that day. As he went. Yeah, but this year I, I know on his face you see the big yellow or orangish line where he is. Yes. You zoom in, zoom out, sort of thing, and you follow where he's been and and whatnot. But yeah, he's in the mountains right now. Um, a bit of a weird part of this, he found, I think, a coconut. A coconut? A coconut. Um, I remember reading it. He found a coconut and named it Ada. <laughs> Some point, he ended up losing the coconut. Okay. And then when... They, oh, I wish I, I wish I had it. I guess when he went back to figure out, ah, well, I, I lost it around here somewhere. We'll take a peek or whatever. I guess he actually found it again. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So he's got this coconut with him and the dog. Um, I, okay. <laughs> it's, I guess it's like uh, Tom Hanks uh, Wilson. Yes. So, well, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm definitely going to follow his story more this year. Um, if he's coming around the Toronto area, I think maybe we'll take a peek and uh, see about uh, hooking up with him and uh, have a little chat. Yes, it would be interesting to have him talk on our show and, and discuss and, and, and talk about his trip and his journey so far. Uh, is there an estimate about when he might be in the Toronto area? No, I, and I don't think he really gives. Now, I know he was trying to be um, at a Koken last year for the, his last trip for uh, Canada Day, but ended up being delayed a bit. So so I guess August we might see him in this area. Um, no, I'd say maybe July. Well, yeah. Because yeah. if he's got to cover all the rest of Ontario and Quebec in the Maritimes, I got to think he'll be in this way around July sometime. He'd be lucky to, yeah, to keep that timeline. Yeah, if he keeps that timeline. So, really cool. But uh, I'd definitely uh, check him out and see, you know, what he's doing, where he is, and if he can go out and support the guy. Now, he's doing, he is doing the, the um, fundraising for the the veterans and whatnot and the uh, youth center. So. so, it's something worth checking out. If you can uh, go to his website, mikeranta.ca. And uh, help him out, help him raise money. It's a good cause. 
and uh, we'll see how he does this year. Yeah, we'll follow him along and hopefully we can hook up with him at some point. Exactly. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. We discussed earlier new equipment. Sean, you purchased a nice new canoe, which yep. I look forward to paddling. Uh, we uh, At this time of year, a lot of people are looking forward to the new year, looking at new gear, new paddles, new life jackets and whatnot. Uh, this year, and uh, this is a good time for my wife to stop listening to the show, I, uh, I purchased a new tent. And this is not a normal tent. I, it, a few years ago, I started migrating towards uh, hammocks and hammock sleeping and I uh, got myself into a Hennessy hammock and I just found that the comfort level is so different and I'm getting older I'm not I don't uh, adjust well to uh, rocks and tree roots as as I used to years ago so I found the Hennessy hammock was really comfortable I really enjoyed sleeping in it it uh, unfortunately it's not so great in the shoulder seasons with uh, cold air whipping past your uh, hind end so it did get cold, but in the in the summer months, when it is hot and you're looking for that comfort level, it uh, it's nice sleeping in a hammock. So this year, I, uh, I I I think I discovered it about 18 months, maybe two years ago. A friend of mine, uh, he introduced me to this tent. He showed me uh, the website. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's incredible. It was, it's a little bit on the steep side price-wise. But uh, this year, I went to their website and it was about a week and a half ago and they were had a clearance sale on some of uh, previous stock so i went out and i purchased a tensile tent so it's a tensile stingray t-e-n-t-s-i-l-e a little bit of play on word tent and tensile strength so this is a three point attachment hammock tent so you're floating above the ground in a hammock and this is a more or less a three-person tent hammock so there's uh basically it's in a triangle you have one person per side of the triangle and uh it looks it looks really comfortable you're attached by by uh web slings to trees and ratchets and you they have various different get-ups and various different uh, lightweight and and tripping hammocks They're, they have a two-man hammock uh, tent and the one I got was the uh, tensile stingray which is a three-man it's uh it's an interesting ha uh, hammock and it uh, I look forward to trying it out uh, I probably get it in the mail in the next uh, week or two and uh, it it looks so comfortable and when you if you look it up on the website you'll see the uh, how uh, how it all hooks up and how comforting comfortable it does look I, I looked it up on the internet uh, when you were sure first talking about it and because I've never really been big on the, the hammocks. Um, no, I, I have my own Eureka Spitfire solo tent that fits just me. Yeah. And yeah, it's when I, I slept up until my early forties on the ground, you know, no, no thermo rest, no nothing. Um, then I ended up with a bit of a back issue. So somebody introduced me to the Thermarest. And I've been using one of those for about the last five years. But when when a few of our friends started getting into the hammocks, um, it was like, okay, well, whatever. It's 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 a novelty. And I tried one out and really wasn't big on it. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with my little uh, solo tent on the ground. But when I looked at this tensile tent that you were uh, <laughs> talking about 
that's a, a totally new level of tent. It's a serious tent. It really is. It's if you picture a big triangle suspended from three trees. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. You know, I mean, you just and you're just laying on it, and the thing looks massive. It almost looks like a big trampoline. It looks like a big trampoline suspended from from the trees. Um, now, as you say, they have different setups in that. Like the one we saw, they were what do they call it? Stacking. Yes. Uh, they got the the bottom part, which you can just lay on if you wanted, but then they put the the other a second one with a tent on top of that, yeah, above, so above it, not on top, above. So what, about three, four feet above? Yes. So you could realistically, I mean, you get up and you sleep into that tent. It's like a condo. Yeah. And then <laughs> you could put all your gear on the bottom part underneath the top one to, to keep it dry. Yeah. So what they have, if you can visualize it in your head, they have various, uh, th this basic triangle shape. And they either have it in a uh, lightweight canvas or in a mesh. So the lightweight canvas and the mesh, you know, the, your typical can, your typical hammock where you're just there's nothing above you. So they have uh, two different versions of that, and then they have the the uh, tensile stingray, which is a has a full fly zipper. You can uh, center entry or a side entry. And so the way they have it is you can use one of these under hammocks or these under uh, tensile hammocks. And if you attach it on directly underneath the tensile stingray, you can layer it with insulating material for the shoulder seasons. Because, and unfortunately with canvas and you laying on your sleeping bag, it's it, there is a lot of heat loss as the wind whips underneath. And they do have various wall structures that you can put in place to stop the uh, the wind whipping underneath. But if you if you stack them tightly, it creates that uh, air or windbreak, so the uh, the insulation. Or if you stack them various heights, you can you know if you go four feet off the ground and then every two feet after that you have this stacking condo kind of effect of uh, various resting surfaces, and then the tent itself, which has a, a full. A bug fly, a full rain fly, and it's all—it's all integral. It's a—it's a complete package. Yeah, it, it definitely looked uh, cool. That's for sure. Now, do you offhand know the weight? The weight is—they have various weights. So, uh, the weight is doubled by the the ratcheting straps. So the uh, the stingray is about fourteen pounds. But if you go to your lightweight method, which is get rid of two of the ratchets, you keep one ratchet, and then you keep the straps for the two corners, you can save seven pounds. So you end up being eight pounds full weight. So you can go the lightweight with missing two ratchets at eight pounds, or the full weight with 14 pounds with the uh, with leaving two, uh, keeping all three ratchets with you. So you don't really want to be portaging that on long trips. But if you're doing something, uh, you know, going interior where you're going in one or two lakes, maybe. Well, uh, I actually, I considered that. And uh, my current family tent that uh, we bought last year, because we have two kids, it uh, its weight is about eight pounds itself. So it's a full, you can stand up inside this tent and I have growing kids, right? So we were looking for something a little bit bigger and it's about, uh, it's seven and a half or eight pounds. So if I leave two ratchets at home with this tensile stingray, I'm actually meeting my my family tent weight. So okay. I and and we plan on doing some into some fairly deep interior camping because my youngest is uh, going to be 3 this summer. So we're going to be starting we're going to start to press push our boundaries for comfort level and getting into the interior of, of parks. Now the only other thing that I I saw about this tent is the trees. You definitely need three good Yes, you're going to need three decently strong trees, and just because of the design of the tent, you're going to need them. Uh, your, your equilateral triangle type thing. So you're, there's long straps to come with it, so you can reach far and wide. But if you, you know, if you decide to go with a birch, the birches kind of tend to lean over in the middle of the night. I've done that in the Hennessy. I uh, woken up in the middle of the night, and, and they were good eight, ten inch birches. But they were a bit punky, I guess, and uh, I woke up touching the ground in my ham in my Hennessy hammock. So with this one here, it requires a significant more tension on the straps. 
So you're going to be looking for some beefy trees. So it's it's not an ideal tripping hammock. You really have to think ahead on where your locations are going to be. You definitely need three decent beefy trees to attach to. But I'm I'm thinking it's an interesting new method of, to try. And I'm also thinking of my back and staying off the ground and staying away from roots and rocks. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I, I'd be interested to see it and just, you know, take it out uh, somewhere local when you first get it and... Uh set it up, see how it all sets up and what it looks like. Well, I'm going to have to set it up a couple of times just to get used to it because the first time you set one of these things up is you don't want it to be into the back country where it's like, oh, well, this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be doing no, that. No, And, I mean, you don't want to be sitting somewhere, you know, going along Georgian Bay either where it's all rock. Open, and exposed you, rock. You definitely <laughs> have to know the landscape yes. you're going in. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting there with it. Well, here's something. If you end up somewhere where there's no trees, does this set up like a normal tent as well? You can still set it up on the ground, touching the ground. It's it's got the uh, the aluminum poles with the that holds the uh, the bug fly and the rain fly up off the ground. It's designed to be hung from trees, but it can be on the ground in a pinch. In a pinch, yes, absolutely. It still works wow. as a normal tent. Well, looking forward to seeing it. Yes, it's going to be interesting. I look forward to getting it in the mail. And it's going to be shocking when my wife goes, oh, when did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Thanks. I'm going to need it. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>